my perception of therapy was something that something I didn't need. I had this very proud mindset as well that I would somehow be able to to get out of my my problems and that I wouldn't need any of that. But I think that was really, really something that I, I wish I could have said to myself earlier, which is, you know, you are just a human being just like anyone else is. And if you were to give advice to a friend who was going through the same thing, what would you say to them? And my advice to a friend would be go get professional help. You know, you've gone through a big life event, get help. Many of us doctors have experienced trauma as a result of our work and our lives, particularly focusing on the work scenario. You know, medicine as a career is highly rewarding, but also extremely challenging. And it's guaranteed that you will come up against all sorts of stresses, as you would call it, or significant events or traumatic events. However, why is it that as doctors, having access to that mental support, mental health support, when we know that working in healthcare has quite a a significant occupational risk when it comes to mental health, why is it that we're not able to access mental health services as easy as it probably should be, or even acknowledge or recognise when we need help and also being able to ask for help? So in today's episode, we will be focusing on the simple question, should all doctors have therapy? And in order to address this question and to run through this conversation, I've invited a really good friend of mine, Dr. Will Gao, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Severa, which is a VC-backed virtual clinical services uh, company, which is looking after patients with long-term conditions. And I've known Will for a number of years um, through Medic Footprint, so he came and participated in quite a few Medic Footprints events, even when he was at medical school. And it's really powerful to hear his story and experiences of some mental health challenges he faced and how he managed to progress through that and using much of what he's learned in that experience to support a thriving team of people in his company. So have a listen, please reflect on this conversation and let me know what you think. And before you do so, make sure that you subscribe if you've been listening for a while. Uh, join our mailing list or join our community at medicfootprints.org forward slash join our mission. And please, please, please do spread the word. We want as many doctors really knowing that that is a door that can be open for them if they choose to open and go through it. If they are looking for other ways to develop themselves personally and professionally, using medicine as an absolutely amazing foundation in their lives. Anyway, on to the podcast. Let's face it. Burnout amongst doctors is sky high and we're actively seeking other ways to make the most of our transferable skills beyond the usual career pathways. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Babas-Jones, and I'm on a mission 
to connect one million doctors across the world with the best in diverse career opportunities. So for today's episode, we are going to be focusing on therapy for for doctors. Should we all, as doctors, be engaging in therapy for the duration of our careers as doctors and beyond, or even before we even get into medicine? That is a question that I've always asked myself, especially working as a consultant in occupational health. Um, and working with companies such as NHS Practitioner Health in the past, who are dedicated to supporting doctors and their mental health concerns, and as someone who has also had mental health concerns themselves through their career. But I'm really, really uh, just excited to introduce you to Will. So Will Gao, I've known for seven, eight years or something along those lines from when he was a medical student. And now he is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Severa, which is a VC-backed virtual clinical services uh, company. He can tell you a little bit more about that. But the reason I've chosen Will to have this a conversation today is because of his own experiences and observations and as a leader in healthcare who is growing a team himself and so the question is should doctors be having therapy so anyway welcome Will thank you so much for joining thank you for having me what a, what a brilliant introduction Brilliant, thank you. <laughs> I just did it on the fly. It's like one of those things that comes with practice. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, let's get started a little bit about your background. And so, I mean, I, that I knew you from when you were in medical school and you were kind of considering alternative careers and that and that jazz. So yeah. tell me a little bit about your journey and how you ended up in a startup. Yeah, well, I, I think, first of all, to the, to the question of um, should all doctors, you know, go to therapy? I think it, it highlights a, a bigger issue of should all people look after themselves and their mental well-being? I think that's what what that yeah. really reminds me of. Um, I think my journey into med school was one that was probably fairly familiar to a lot of kids as well. I had a very strict Asian parents. They were from China. Um, they wanted to see a doctor in the family, so there was very much this whole thing that you really need to do this, you do that, and personally it was I was always interested in the science and always interested in trying to help uh, people and look at human body but I think there was definitely a lot of sort of parental uh, pressure going into it and I think that was you know a, a small element of uh, the, the, the decision to, to do it and so when I was in medical school I quickly realized that um, there were lots of things that weren't to my to my liking um, and I was very fortunate as well to be in UCL uh, which was a very much a, a hub of lots of interesting and fascinating people and very much got quickly picked up into this new world of innovation and tech and what could happen uh, in, in healthcare. And uh, sort of at, at the same time as well, I mean, really jumping into the, the kind of the, the, the depths of it was my mum unfortunately got, got ill uh, when, I was a, when I was a student. So I was in my for the second year of, of exams, I remember it was the it was the day before sitting the, uh, the the medical school exams. And for any UCL listeners, although second year was very much the worst year in terms of academic exams, it was brutal. And it was dropped at the dinner table that uh, mum had um, mum had cancer, 
Uh, and only being in second year, you still don't know that much about medicine until and, and so I was trying to dive deeper and trying to find out what was going on. How old were you time, Will? I was 20. 20, so really young, yeah. relatively speaking. Yeah, exactly. And it was a, it was one of those, you know, not to exaggerate, but it was one of those life-defining moments, right, where I remember going upstairs and trying to continuously revise about the anatomy for my exam the next day, knowing fully in my head that, you know, my mum had just been given this diagnosis of what I didn't realise at the time it was terminal cancer. And the reason I bring it up in conjunction of why startups is because really there was a lot of soul searching over the next few years. I continued on with med school. I thankfully passed as well that, that exam. I don't know how I got through it, but I think the adrenaline and everything got through it. But um, during my sort of third and fourth year, I spent a lot of time going backwards and forwards to hospitals with my mom, getting chemotherapy, being that kind of medical person, you know, when you get as, as you are the medical hat. I was there for all of it. The medic in the family, the minute you get in the medic in the family, you're excited to know it all. <laughs> I mean, I mean, some of these oncology are so far beyond what I'm with anyway. I, I, I did my did my bit and uh, ended up taking a year out uh, towards the very end of her life because I realised that there wasn't much time remaining and, and you know, I, I wanted to prioritise the, the time because I, I was blessed in a way that I knew it was coming and uh, not a lot people get get that sort of pre-warning so I ended up spending about four four months of good time with her and then once she passed in in, in 2017 um, I went back to med school to finish off the final sort of two two and a half years of clinical, clinical training and I felt really lost I felt really really lost and it wasn't myself I didn't know what myself was I mean your identity as a person when you lose someone so close to you is is shaken and I started asking myself, why was I in medicine in the first place? Obviously, I had the parental pressures, mostly my dad. Uh, and I was trying to make sure that you know, mum and dad were happy and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, well, if mum's no longer here, she just want me to do what I really wanted to do. And then that all intertwined with, you know, getting support from friends and family. And that was when I first was introduced to talking therapy because I, I needed help at a time to, I was, what, 22 when mum passed and um, it was a lot to take in and there was a lot of soul searching, which has led me to sort of where I am today, which was to, to make the decision to go with my heart and, and to, to leave clinical medicine, but still stay in healthcare. I mean, well, I, it must have been such a challenging experience for you at such an, such an early age, at a pivotal time in your life when you're, you know, growing into your identity or your profession and to lose you know one of the the biggest rocks or foundations in your life and closest relationships and so I mean my next my next question for you is what were your perceptions of therapy before you actually started and what was that experience like initially yeah so pleased you asked that because it certainly wasn't talked about in my household had a you know we were had an older brother a very very traditional dad who didn't believe in showing emotions so my perception of therapy was something that something I didn't need I had this very proud mindset as well that I would somehow be able to to get out of my my problems and that I wouldn't need any of that but I think that was really really something that I I wish I could have said to myself earlier which is you know you are just a human being just like anyone else is and if you were to give advice to a friend who was going through the same thing, what would you say to them? 
And my advice to a friend would be go get professional help. You know, you've gone through a big life event, get help. Whereas you can give the advice, but sometimes you just don't listen to your own. And that was something I really listened to going forward. I thought, whatever I tell people I should do myself, I'm no different. And I think that really was a was a turning point because I started to to get the help and, and it it got my life back on 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 a good on a good direction. Thank you so much. And I completely identify with that as a <laughs> I, mean, I think it's quite a common experience for carers or people in healthcare to be able to give professional advice, but not really take the views and practice that advice yeah. as uh, efficiently and regularly as we should. And I can yeah. definitely attest to that because I remember even when I was in occupational medicine training and supposed to be looking after myself, that's when I actually burnt out yeah. <laughs> and ended up on the other side of uh, occupational health um getting advice from another occupational health physician on how I should be looking after myself and being kinder to myself and slowing down and all of that jazz so um and yeah and that's actually my first entry point to having therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy in particular um even though I'd I'd prescribed and advised it to like hundreds (laughs) hundreds of people beforehand but never actually um gone through it myself so I mean that also leads to um you know just generally speaking if we look at doctors and their experiences now and also you know peri-pandemic and the challenges they faced particularly around you know the trauma they've experienced within work you should all doctors be offered therapy, mental health therapy, as a kind of standard or even a prerequisite to actually go through it before they even start their jobs. I mean, what? I mean, it's a it's a very controversial topic, but we like controversy here. So, yeah. I mean, what are your general thoughts on that? There are so many levels to unpack. There. I think what you said about being a carer is so true. You're, you're in a unique position as a as a medic, and and let's be frank here so many of us identify it's a strong identity being a doctor I mean you know it, it's who we are and it therefore there, there is a sense of wanting to feel like you've got things under control people come to you non-medics always come to you for advice about absolutely everything and so it almost for me anyway and I'm not sure if other people resonate with this but it felt like I was letting myself down and letting other people down by showing those weaknesses mm-hmm. and it and it's, it's it's there's a big stigma to it and I think lots have changed in, in recent years but we should be very vulnerable we should be very open to being vulnerable about not 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 being okay and I think should should therapy be sort of compulsory or, or be offered to everyone I think certainly I've, I've found so much so much value just as a person being able to talk to someone professional about things and it, it, it there will still be people who have resistance to it and have a stigma to it which is you know that that's that's okay but Often these things is you don't want to wait until something bad happens for you to then seek help. Because for me, therapy is just a, a preventative thing now. It, it falls under the same category as making sure that I eat well, I exercise, you know, all of those good things. And, and it's only when people really, really are finding things difficult when they become receptive to things they otherwise wouldn't have been. So for me, if you'd have said to me, well, you know, when I was 18 years old, you said, would you think you'd be getting therapy at 20, 2021? I'd be like, oh, I'll be fine. I've got my life in all, yeah, everything's fine. But when I needed it and things weren't working, I was doing the exercise, I was doing meditation, I was doing all these things to try and keep myself well, but it, it wasn't working. I thought I really need to let my guard down and not be such a, you know, to try and be so strong about it. And so I think it should be offered. 
to people, whether it be compulsory, is it? That's a whole funding question. <laughs> That's even available. Always, there's a funding but, question. But, but certainly, I think it, if more people can just say they've had it and it's been helpful, and that you know, do it even if it's prophylactic, you know, preventative. It doesn't have to be yeah. once you're struggling and depressed. Well, maybe, and well, maybe it's yeah. a cultural question to say that you know we look at professional development right and part of our professional development is the well-being element and making sure we look after our health etc etc and recognizing that medical practice in particular can come with a lot of baggage when it comes to trauma mental health you know should, should it be signposted to a lot more frequently like in people's appraisals alcps that kind of thing not you know even as as you just it described as a preventative yeah. you know check-in rather than assuming that if people haven't brought it up then they're fine yeah. do you know what i mean because i i even remember the year that i i i literally had to take time off that there were lots of red flags that i didn't see because it's me but other people had pointed out numerous times but you know if I didn't see it and then nothing was actually offered at the time but then looking back you know had I actually picked up on it or someone suggested listen we really think that you need to or you you could consider not need to if they forced me I definitely wouldn't have gone Um, (laughs) uh, but say have you considered doing this that may help you with this that and the other problem then I probably would have been more receptive to it and it could have prevented you know me me even needing time to take time of work and so you know I definitely agree with you on that preventative level in the sense that you know I I now I now have a regular therapist on a weekly basis and that's been for the last few months. And that wasn't because there was anything crisis level wrong at the time. It was more of a realization that that was an investment into myself, (laughs) you know, holistically um, and especially dealing with some challenges that I could foresee in the future, not now, but in the future. So um, yeah, I mean, do you, do you know many people in general that treat treat it prophylactically in that sense yeah as as you just described well I, I'm, I'm the same I, I, I've been seeing people you know a, a therapist on a, on a regular basis for about a, a, you know for a year now I've had therapy for many many years but never as sort of as ongoing as this and um, I, I actually don't know many people who do it as often as, as that still and for me it doesn't just it's not just to make sure that you're feeling happy or feeling better. It's a lot about understanding yourself as well, because a common thing that I sometimes get asked from friends who are interested in therapy is, can you not just chat to a friend about these things and work mm. through these things with mates? And don't get me wrong. I, I, I share so much with my mates and yeah. it, it, we, we can talk very openly, but there's often a, for those who haven't tried it, when you have a dedicated professional or someone who is there just to help yourself, you really get deep into the, the conversation and you can really reflect on what it is that's led you to those thought patterns. And it's just keeping peeling back those levels really gets you to understand yourself in a, in a completely different way. And I still find it so helpful because I almost treat it as a life coach in a way. I mean, that might have a more of a sort of a, a sexy feel to it than a therapist. But yeah, you, know, you could probably because, call it that depending on how yeah. you do. Yeah, because there's a lot of overlap between coaching there's, there's and therapy. A lot of overlap. A huge amount of overlap there. They're looking at your the way you the way you think, the way you bring yourself to a to a problem. And you can't separate your emotional state from, let's say, a professional or a personal. 
life as well. And that's something that I, I've realized. If, if something's happening in your personal life, you will bring that energy to your colleagues and, and people, whether you like it or not. And so looking after yourself or spending that time to really understand how you respond to things will inevitably impact so many aspects of your life. So it, it's, it's yeah, I, as you might imagine, I recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you went about finding a therapist. Yes. Um, because I mean, the, the standard at the moment in the US, sorry, UK um, and the NHS is that the NHS does offer counselling or uh, sorry, mental health services through <laughs> IAPT, which is improving access to uh, psychological therapies. Um, the challenge that a lot of people face with IAPT <laughs> is that, as you can imagine, it's it's severely oversubscribed and there's a huge waiting list. For doctors and dentists in the UK, there is a um, practitioner health programme, uh, yeah. which is a, a remarkable service, which is NHS funded um, for doctors with mental health concerns. You don't need to have a diagnosis for this. Um, but again massively oversubscribed so um, especially for those who are looking for you know longer term support like yourself you know what what are the resources a where you can find the best therapist or and and b how do you know it's the right person for you moving forward on the longer term and the type of therapy because as you know there's a whole range of different forms of therapies that people can experience um I know a lot of practitioners are you know practice a kind of bit of everything kind of you know integrated some are very specific in their approach I mean what what was your experience like that's such a such a great question by the way because it's um I think just to highlight and address it in the open it's a it's not cheap therapy um and i think it is un- it's unfortunate how little the you know the public services can can offer for it so I, I i personally went through university to begin with so i was given three sessions with a therapist through university when i was a student and then afterwards i was on the uh, i to queue for it felt like forever and especially when you're not in a good place it's that time feels extraordinarily long so I, I had I think it was six sessions with with the IAP which is the maximum I think they gave gave me at the time and then I ended up looking for a therapist using the BACP website yeah um, which which still today seems to be one of the, the more robust directories that are out there and I ended up yeah having to pay for it out of pocket which like I said it wasn't it wasn't cheap and unfortunately it does it will create this divide right of those who have more, more resources will be able to, to get more help it's it's such a big problem such a big problem because it's it's not it's not affordable for for most people and um one thing i did find helpful was i was able to be given concessionary rates as well uh, when i expressed that i had financial difficulties they were happy to offer slight discounts um, but that is completely dependent on the person offering offering those services i think the other side of what, what we what, what you kind of asked as well was how do you know it's the right one and what do you look for and I, I'm still relatively young in the sense of how how many years and people of therapists I, I've seen so I might come back to a different answer in five ten fifteen years time but um the ones that I've worked I expect a different answer in five ten years so yeah things change I I am um, I think certainly finding so I, I definitely cycled through quite a number because you have the introductory calls, which I think you should always do, and just get a, get a feel for if the person is um, 
is right for you. I also was completely perplexed by all the different types of therapy. I couldn't quite grasp my head around which ones were person-centered. There was so many different things. And I ended up going for just a counselor who would talk with me rather than using particular techniques. But I think the most important thing is that you, you trust that person because I certainly had certain therapists where I couldn't, I didn't feel like level of trust and I didn't, I felt that there was probably a bit more judgment than was helpful. And as soon as you notice those things, I think you should trust your gut because then you won't open up properly. And if you don't open up properly, you completely lose the benefits of what having a dedicated amount of time to go deep into a topic is. So uh, I would look for trust uh, and, and, and that's the, that's the priority in terms of the, the way to get the most out of it. Um, yeah, totally agree. And I guess trust without like anything, it just takes time to build up. But it's also about the chemistry that you have with that person, which you, you know, chemistry is pretty much immediate, but then you've got to wait for the longer term and just use your intuition and gut. Um, but I think that's, yeah, it is one of the benefits of finding someone that you're self-funding rather than going through IAPT or NHS because you don't really have much of it or any choice really um so so yeah there's it's there's 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 benefits and challenges with with both options basically but you know it's I think we're we're talking specifically about doctors who as we assume most doctors will have some kind of financial income um but those in financial difficulties can also get support from organizations like the Royal Benevolent Medical Fund I assume if they're really kind of struggling but I mean I I personally see it as yeah an investment in myself yeah uh, rather than a kind of added expense Mm -hmm. just like you know money that I would spend on going out to (laughs) going out for dinner or cafes or like you know hair done you know things things like that the the day-to-day that we spend and actually kind of totals up quite a lot if you look at how much you spend over a month yeah um or like for example I was spending money on a course you know a period of time I I I would see this as as just as important in the same kind of thing but very much bespoke to me um and not necessarily any tangible outcomes or certificate at the end of it but but something I know that, you know, I'll be taking micro steps through as I progress as a person, as an <clears> individual. So I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts along those lines. Like, how, yeah. how do you see it? I, I totally agree. And that, and that is such a key point because it's the perception of what it is for you, is that you see it as something more than just, uh, it helps me when I'm feeling down. It, that is, it, I think that's the, the common perception of it. And it is, it's, if you're so right, it is, it is an investment in yourself, just like you would do if you were to get like a gym membership, was like just so that you could look after oneself. And I, I just think the you, you you often, as we touched on a little bit before, but you can't see yourself that well. What your red flags are sometimes because you're you're in your own head. And the the irony with mental health is that the one organ that you need to be functioning well <laughs> in order to catch these things, the thing that's failing you. So you can't even sometimes see when your decision making is poor or when you start making those bad decisions and the habits get worse. And it, it's so it's so fundamental to, to, to everything to be able to, to feel well about yourself, but also to think clearly. And, and they just have so many outward benefits that I certainly see at the moment where, you know, in, in, in my in my role um, and also as a 
as a fiance, as a partner to my fiance and you know as a as a brother and you know all these things I know that in order for me to to be my best for them and to do it justice um I need to look after myself um I want to be able to to support other people and it's you know we you hear it all the time but you have to look after yourself before you can look after multiple other people it's such a cliche statement but until you've really really been able to catch yourself going down what could potentially be a spiral and you actually are noticing your uh red flags and you're actually preventing it you realize just what the um the potential gains that you've you've saved yourself both in time and energy and all those other things you you you're more in tune with oneself and I think that's that's really the heart of it 100 100 and yeah a lot of what you said I completely echo and I'd love to you know we've got a few minutes left I'd love to hear more about you know now that you're in a leadership position in uh Severa the health tech company how have you used your experience and knowledge and the importance of therapy and how are you using that in establishing a really positive culture and supporting those with who may or may not have you know mental health and well-being issues like how 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 are you embedding that in yeah you look after your team as you grow right so you said you want to be controversial <laughs> so i yeah. think that, i think that the the people are the the, the assets of your company right it's yeah. all about it's all about the people especially in a remote working world now when people are just in their own homes in their laptops you realize that all the other things like a fancy office all these they're just material things what's important yeah. is the individual people and the reason why i said this is controversial is that i personally felt going through med school and my colleagues who are now doctors you felt very dis dispendable you know you could be replaced very easily and i think that's not good for culture when you don't feel you don't feel valued uh, and that will mean something different to everyone listening to this is what's your value when you when you work for your employer and it was highlighted in a lot of areas in the, in the pandemic as well that you know they didn't protect the staff and by not protecting the staff's mental health as well the, the repercussions are huge you look at the look at the number of people leaving and it's and and, and the question about what, what are we doing differently at Suvera? It's all about the culture. It's all about being able to be open and honest. And, and I see every single person as the assets to the company because without them, we would be absolutely nothing. We might be left with an empty office space. Oh, what, what's that good for? It's all about, it's all about the people. And I think I, I wish that the NHS would consider that more and value their employees a bit more because there are great people leaving. Seriously, seriously intelligent well-natured people who are leaving and it's because of them not feeling valued and if they get a different role somewhere else you'll see it straight away in corporate areas they, they look after their employees they know that if they've worked late or we'll give some amendments for the next day you know they look out for stuff and someone comes in and says i'm not feeling but okay take you know you're not performing so don't don't try to force yourself come back tomorrow when you feel. it doesn't it doesn't allow that in, in, in the NHS and I think that comes across strongly and uh, so that's how we want to do things differently really we want to make sure that people feel like uh, looked after we, we put a lot of money towards sort of well-being budgets as well so every single uh, Subaru, um employee gets free access to, to therapy through a company called Spill uh, who basically delivers therapy for um, uh, employees we don't know who 
attends them or how many sessions are booked, but we just know that it's something that's available for all, all employees. And, and there's also a sort of like a well-being budget where we do nice things and get people to, uh, to, to, to take part in it. But the whole point of it always to look after the people. That's all there is to it. Thank you so much for that. And um, yeah, I mean, get, going back to the NHS, I mean, the NHS, we talk about this in every episode. <laughs> yeah, the NHS, um, I mean, there's a lot of potential there, I think, to support staff. And there is definitely recognition there. But the problem is uh, that, I mean, again, it's like one of those like $1 billion questions. How do you retain, how do you best retain some of your best staff? I don't think that's fully, that, that's, that's clearly not being addressed at the moment, or it's not effectively being addressed. Um, I mean, even at the moment, you've got doctors, you know, on the cusp or previously striking or threatening to strike. Uh, you've got inflation that that isn't really in, from NHS pay that isn't kind of matching the overall inflation when it comes to wages. Um, that you've got so many things that are push factors that are like, why would anyone stay in the NHS? And And, you know, especially when... The government have invested so much money and time in training some of the the most talented people in the world. Why is it there there isn't as much time and energy in keeping them or retaining them in a system that's in desperate need of them? Do you know what I mean? It's it's yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting as as what's happening, and I think it's a very difficult problem to solve because of how big the the healthcare system is um and there are so many different moving parts um but you know people like you <laughs> who have come out of that system and influencing in other ways have, definitely have the potential to address that I believe yeah. I honestly believe like I always say I think it's easier to really impact and influence the NHS from its in outside than it is from within yeah and I've seen that time and time again in different forms. Um, but yeah, the, the key is there. And, and it's it's just we need we need talented doctors and healthcare professionals to really make sure that we get some changes so that our society can access, everyone can access the healthcare that they deserve. Yeah. Really. So yeah, well, thank you so much for your time, Will. Really thank appreciate you. it. If anyone wants to get hold of you, how do they best do that? Oh, question. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Dr. Will Gale. Uh, you can find me there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Will. And for those of you listening, we will speak again, I'm sure, um, and on our next episode. So take care. Thank you. Bye. Well, I hope you found that episode really useful for your journey. I've also shared quite a lot about my own personal experiences on the mental health side of things and I, I can promise you I only scratched the surface and you know the reality is there are a lot of doctors who do need that mental health support prophylactically or preventatively not just waiting until you get to crisis moment and I know that many doctors like myself choose to move or change careers as a result of the experiences they face in their careers and in their lives. So I really hope that you can take control of your own mental health in a way that works for you and use that to your advantage in exploring alternative careers. I hope that you found this useful and please feel free to join our mailing list. As I mentioned before, 
which is medicfootprints.org forward slash join our mission. Let us know what you think. Connect with me on LinkedIn and I will be there for the next episode. <laughs>